Ladies and gentlemen, what's going on? It is Brian Phillips and Ryan Kieran here for episode two of Deep Down the Middle. Ryan, how are we doing, man? I'm great, Brian. How are you? Another week, number two, episode number two. Let's get into it. Uh, guys, like we said last week, here's the format. We know the truth lies somewhere down the middle on all these issues that we hear about each week down, you know, when we're talking about the NFL. Uh, we are going to keep this format brief, uh, dog walking length. So let's get right into it. Ryan, we got a couple of, uh, of NFL topics to go over this week really quick. Uh, Philip River is going to be a free agent, has uh, cut ties with the Los Angeles Chargers. Your thoughts? Uh, end of an error, obviously, it's a it's a big uh, QB transition year with Eli Manning retiring as well. Um, and so there, you know, it's going to be interesting to see where he ends up. It obviously opens up a need for a quarterback in Los Angeles, whether through the draft or free agency. I just want to rattle off a quick list of names that I think might be interesting um, for Phil Rivers to land on for teams. Uh, the Bucks, Dolphins are obvious ones. Um, Panthers, Titans, and I'm going to leave it at those four. Uh, but just all, all those like southeastern teams uh, that could be in the quarterback market. That's where he it seems like where he's going to end up is that southeast near his family. Um, and I think all those teams are varying levels of intriguing there. Uh, I've got to agree with you on the Colts. It seems like it makes too much sense. Jacoby Brissett's deal is so team friendly over there. It's obviously great backup money, um, but uh, not with not outside of the realm of possibility, especially if they think they're in a position to add a bunch of assets this offseason and may, really make a push. Um, okay, 17-game NFL regular season on the table uh, in, in, in talks with the NFLPA and uh, an ownership. Your thoughts, Ryan? Uh, if you are on the podcast, which hopefully we will get up this week, uh, we're still working through some details on that. Uh, I did a nice big thumbs down there. Uh, no, this is stupid. It doesn't, the math doesn't work in terms of, you know, figuring out the games. Uh, the, there's just, there's no reason to expand one game. Uh, if you're going to be dead set on expanding games, you probably need to make it a team, which is counterintuitive to my thoughts on it. Uh, but you need to find out, figure out something way more creative. Uh, if you can't do 17 games, add one buy. I think, I think the solution, if you had to go that route would be 18 games at three buys, have a whole month of buys, extend the season, start it two weeks earlier, have it go into February a little bit. Um, and that, that's just right off the top of my head. That's not like a fully thought out plan, but 17 games makes no sense. And it's just a stepping ground to get to 18 games. So why do that? Here's my thoughts on it really quick. And you guys will probably notice if you're checking out uh, the video here on Facebook Live or on YouTube, we have the Maya Stingers up for the transitions. I will be over-utilizing the Maya Stingers. Um, she is the mascot. And right now she is our uh, she is our biggest sponsor. So um, we, really, right we really appreciate all of Maya's support. Um, I have got to uh, – I, I don't want to advocate for 17 games. I think it's terrible. I think it's – I'm also – I hate odd numbers. It's a weird thing with me. But mm -hmm. it's all about the revenue. It's all about the dollars, right? So what are we doing with four – what are we doing with four preseason games? I know that the a lot, all the talks are we need to get rid of some of the preseason games if we're going to add the regular season game in. I would much rather have 17 games in the regular season if it has to happen in order to get some of the things on the table that the NFLPA wants. Now, we all know 
any time that the, the or excuse me, that, that ownership wants. Anytime the NFLPA wants something, uh, ownership acts as if it's going to be this big, massive concession uh, that they'll just have to they'll they'll have to get another game of revenue out of um, if they want to have anything on the table like something simple like marijuana taken away from the personal conduct policy or all these simple things. So the 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 Patriots, the players are going to have to make a concession and, and add a game on for revenue at some point. It's just going to have to happen. Um, if they want bigger things like more guarantees in their contracts, uh, quicker, uh, more escalating minimum salaries that affect a, a bigger majority of the players out there, the bigger majority of the player pool, if they want um, any kind of action on the franchise tag or any more power in their contracts, they're going to have to come up with something. And the biggest thing they can do is to say, yes, we'll add another game. Now, I would much rather have them, from a fan perspective, I'd much rather have that happen than they start tinkering with the playoffs um, and trying to add more playoff games. Um, I think that the NFL has, right now, the best playoff system really available in the four major sports. Um, yeah, we've already gone pretty long on this, but I think somewhere down the middle is going to have to be, they're going to have to throw in a game, but you're right, they can't do it this way. 17-game season Sounds kind of weird, and the way that they do it with the buys is, is no good. Um, all right, moving on. Last bit of NFL news. The Super Bowl, uh, kind of a big deal, is this week. Um, Ryan, who is winning on Sunday? Okay, so we were just talking about this before we recorded, but this feels like the closest Super Bowl or the hardest to handicap Super Bowl since the uh, Broncos Seahawks, which obviously hindsight doesn't look great because the Seahawks blew them out. But going into that game, that was an all-time great defense against a record-setting offense uh, who also had a good defense, and the all-time great defense had a up-and-coming offense on their side. So that that Super Bowl felt like it was going to be a classic, and it turned out to be one of the biggest blowouts ever. Um, and because and on that line thinking, I can see a close, close San Francisco win. I can see a close Kansas City win. I can see a close Kansas City blow, or a blowout Kansas City win. I can't see a San Francisco blowout win. So I'm leaning Kansas City just because of that. I think that their offense is just a little bit too unstoppable, and the 49ers' offense is a little bit too stoppable. Um, but I, I think it's going to be a really fun game between two very smart offensive coaches. I think we're going to see a lot of fun stuff in this game, and it's going to be as enjoyable as possible for a non-Patriots Super Bowl. Uh, that, I mean, that's that's my thinking too. I, I can't I can't remember being this tossed up about a non-Patriots Super Bowl. Um, it's hard. It's hard when the Patriots are in it so often. It's hard to kind of separate exactly because we're so plugged into the Patriots all the time. It's hard to separate um, how we know they can play from what the numbers are telling us they can do or what what the film is telling us they can do. Because you know when when you're really plugged into what the how how the Patriots make adjustments, we we're not you and I aren't um, constantly going over uh, every little aspect of, of Kyle Shanahan's playbooks or, um, right. or Andy Reid's play calling. And, and we're not, we're not sitting there grinding the film every single week on these exact offenses and seeing trends and what they do against, you know, two highs, you know, two high looks and single high coverage. And, you know, are, are they, are they gap sound when they're going too high? Like, these are the things I know I could tell you more about with the Patriots, but I can't tell you about when, when we're, we're looking at two different teams um, that we don't see every week. So, Man, I just have to uh, – I think I'm going to go San Francisco just strictly based on the fact that Mike McGlinchey has a center bar face mask. Um, <laughs> I think that is the key this this Sunday, and I think that the 49ers 
uh, win by a field goal. Rob, a Robbie Gold, uh, forty-eight yarder as time expires. Uh, Off of one crossbar, but not two. It goes through, and Bears fans everywhere just absolutely weep. There you go. Um, all right, guys. Each week we want to get more in depth into a topic uh, that's not really being talked about. Um, this week we wanted to talk to you a little bit about a primetime free agent uh, that will be getting mm, a lot mm, of looks mm, from mm. a lot of teams. Yeah, mm, mm. we, uh, we we missed some uh, big Patriots news here. What? Patriots news? I can't. I, I, time out. Time out. I can't talk about this right now. I thought I thought we had an understanding we were going to be able to move right past this. Um, my Patriots stomach. Nation, Patriots Nation. I, I, so full disclosure. This is what we talked about this before. Brian said he wasn't ready to talk about it. Uh, I, I, I just, I being uh, knowing that we are servants for you, I could not let him go and not mention the just groundbreaking uh, staff change that just happened earlier today uh, or in recent days. I apologize. Uh, Jed Fish is coming to the Patriots. <laughs> How crazy is that? Mm. Uh, and also someone uh, someone that is potentially the greatest offensive line coach of all time, Dante Scarnecchia, uh, happened to retire. But, uh, Brian, uh, how are you feeling about Dante Scarnecchia? Uh, man, I'm happy for him. You know, go, uh, go home, retire, do your thing, man. It's a grind. Um, Dante Scarnecchia has been grinding since, like, like 1928 at this thing, man. Like, he, the guy, what, what, I mean, what can, what can you say about him that hasn't already been said a million times, uh, especially the last time he retired? Um, the guy comes back and he's just, you know, as much of a legend as he was before he left. And then, uh, I mean, it would have been nice to send him out a little on a little better note than they did this year. But, um, man, Dante Scarnecchia is uh, a Hall of Fame worthy assistant coach. And, and, uh, we've heard uh, up and down uh, all over the media this afternoon here. We're, we're recording on Tuesday night. Um, you know, everybody coming out and, and really pouring their hearts out with with love for uh, for Dante Scarnecchia. And it's obviously, it, it couldn't be more deserved, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, you said it well. I, I will spare you and we can move on real quick. I just want to hit two quick anecdotes. Um, one, uh, the great uh, Trevor Sycama at Trevor Sycama on Twitter uh said that he heard a story that he can verify is true that an offensive lineman that used to play for the Patriots went to a different team when he got to his new team the offensive line coach told him just do whatever Scar told you to do like that's how good he was offensive line coaches knew <laughs> around the league knew that they weren't going to be able to tell someone how to do something better than he did so he came to his new team and they just said just keep doing whatever Scar told you to do because that's the best advice you're going to get um, my second note is uh, this is going to be a very niche thing, especially for the Facebook audience. Um, there's a great old tweet about uh, a screen cap of a Sunday Night Football Giants game with their athletic trainer who had been their athletic trainer since 1948. And the great Trill Withers at Tyler I Am made a joke about how he's been there since 1948. He's still trying to put a stick of butter on a torn ACL. Dante Scarnecchi has been around that long too. That's that's how old Dante Scarnecchi is, and still to this very year, he was doing magic on the offensive line, and he is going to be greatly missed. Uh, so now, Brian, I will let you segue into our main segment. And now that we uh, did that service for the fans, yeah, uh, yeah, we had we had to do it. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're you know, I, I don't know. I'm torn up now. I'm all I'm all I'm all torn up, and I'm a little verklempt. Um, okay. Yes, each week we do a segment, guys. We go a little deeper into a, into a topic uh, about the Patriots offseason. Um, 
obviously a lot has been made about the need at tight end. Uh, they thought they could patch it over after Gronk's late retirement decision last year. Uh, that did not work out this year. We know we've, you know, it's been beaten. You know, the dead horse has been beaten on that. Um, the best opportunity uh, to fill that void in free agency uh, with the best player available would be uh, Austin Hooper. So we wanted to talk to a little, just a little bit about Austin Hooper. Uh, me and Ryan don't quite see eye to eye here. Ryan, give me the uh, give me the thumbs up argument for signing an Austin Hooper. Okay, so first of all, people the first thing that people are going to go to is uh, the lack of spending in free agency that the Patriots typically do. Uh, the Stephon Gilmore contract is the best, and honestly, the Darrell Revis contract might be the best recent example, but it's the same line of thinking for both. Um, when Bill identifies a need and he also identifies a talent that fits that need that is worth spending for, he will go spend it. Uh, Stefan Gilmore, Brian, can you run back Stefan Gilmore's contract numbers for me real quick? Because I lost my page that had them up. Uh, but on the first night of free agency, first thing you wake up the next morning and Stefan Gilmore is already a patriot. You think that they're going to give that money to Malcolm Butler. He identifies the need. He identifies an opportunity to upgrade at a position that wasn't even a weakness yet. And he goes and does it. Um, do you have that contract? Yeah, we do. Um, yeah. yeah, it's, and it's been restructured a couple times, but yeah, it's five years, 65, uh, right. 18, 18 up front and a signing bonus, uh, 13 a year, which has just been bypassed, uh, by a couple of guys. I know Xavier Howard's, uh, deal in Miami passed it, but the cornerback market is going to be reset again. Byron Jones is going to get more than probably, probably more than 13 mm -hmm. a year this year on the open market. But, um, yeah, 13 a year, uh, biggest, biggest, uh, you know, he was the highest paid corner. Uh, in, right. in, you know, in the league at the time of signing. So. Right. So there's precedent there that when Bill identifies a need, and in this case, like Logan Ryan was leaving, but they still had their potential CB1 of the future in Malcolm Butler. Uh, but Bill identified that need. He identified the opportunity to upgrade. He saw what was going to be coming with Malcolm Butler, who was a limited player ultimately. Uh, and he went and got the best cornerback in football for the past two years on a big contract right away. So let me just propose this. Austin Hooper is 25 years old until the middle of the season, the late third, November, he is getting through half of next year at 25 years old. Uh, he is a top five receiving tight end in football. He has had one real injury in his career. That was this year. And he did not miss more. I think he missed a month and he was back for the end of the season, even when the season was already lost. Uh, he fills the biggest need on this team by far tremendously. And even though he was going to reset the tight end market, the tight end market is something that has been in need of resetting and is a little bit below expectations in terms of what they're going to make. Resetting the market for a tight end is like 11 million, which is already less than you pay Stefan Gilmore. And so if you gave him, I'm going to go extremely big here. This is the top end right now. If you gave him six years, 66 million, figure out the guarantees that comes out to 11 million a year. You are getting him through his age 31 season because he is, again, still only 25 through this year. He will be turning 32 during the season where that contract ends. That is still, like, productive tight end range um, for anyone who isn't Rob Gronkowski deteriorating. Uh, you, get, you get to lock down the tight end of your future. You get to sustain this window. If you can bring Tom Brady back, and you get to unlock your offense again that was just handicapped last year by the lack of tight end. And the argument, the preemptive argument against him is going to be his blocking. He is a, you know, a passable blocker. I wouldn't even say he's like an above average blocker. He's a passable blocker when he needs to. 
Well, blocking tight ends are cheap. You can go get Eric Tomlinson back. He was here for a little bit earlier in the year, did a decent job, filled in at fullback before Landon Roberts took over after the Devlin and Johnson injuries. But he's a, he's a solid blocking tight end. You can get him under a million a year. So if you give Hooper 11, you give Tomlinson, say, 800000 you're spending less than $12 million on the position, and you have your ability to go back into 12 personnel. You have your receiving threat at tight end again. You have your blocking back at tight end. And if Izzo or Lacoste beats out Tomlinson, no big deal because then they're a better player and you're not losing anything by cutting Tomlinson. Okay, I like it. Um, a lot of good points. A lot of good points. Here's my problem. My problem is – there we go. There's our Maya, our Maya transition. <laughs> um, my problem is the price. Uh, and and it's, it's not as if we're talking about a – I understand he's a, talent, he's, he's a talented kid. Uh, really, really a nuanced guy at with, with a nice route tree. He's got some good hands. Obviously, the size you want. But I, I my problem is I hate I just hate the fact that they're pigeonholed into this need um, again. And uh, and I wish that the patchwork job that they did at the tight end position this past year uh, worked out a little better because Matt Lacoste was really. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. It, it was a disaster. Um, he was, was. He, 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 they, they tried to heart. get, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was really bad. Uh, trying to get him angles uh, in the run game. Uh, he couldn't perform. He had trouble performing crackback blocks uh, on, on like, you know, crack tosses, uh, weak and strong. Um, he was consistently getting blown back uh, when they were trying to run counters or uh or you see them running split zone where you'll have a tight end, uh, you know, coming across the formation and grabbing the guy on the edge to uh, to create that cutback lane for uh, for your running back. Um, he had trouble square. He had so much trouble squaring up, um, and it's just not something you're used to when when you had years of Gronkowski and Dwayne Allen and um, and you know, the Patriots want to be able to get back to that twelve personnel look, and we saw them trying to force it and force it and force it this year with. With uh, with Tomlinson and Watson and, and and Lacoste and all different kinds of combinations and you just it just didn't work, um, and it, I think it also shows it how how much they really missed you know James Devlin in week one we saw him actually playing a ton of that H back role and, and playing a bunch of those blocking roles that they wanted um, that they knew they were missing with Gronk retiring but uh, I'm getting back to the Hooper thing here he's not going to provide he's not going to provide that multiplicity for them um, and I think they can't I think they're going to have a tough time investing that that much uh that many cap resources into a guy that they can't um they can't use and consider themselves as a as a multiple weapon and and a guy that's going to create mismatches um where they can say okay we're in 11 personnel we can we can run the football effectively consistently in 11 personnel um obviously you'd love the passing game threat i and and we talk about this every week you and i ryan but like uh, you could throw, you know, throw the running game out the window. That would be great. But the fact of the matter is, this team wants to run the football, um, and they want to get that play action p- passing game established. Even though we'll talk about that in another week, um, as far as that correlation goes. But I just don't see them giving that kind of money uh, to a guy that they can't trust in in to, to be that multiple package type of uh, threat. And it's going to be a problem when you look at the 30% rule in the CBA. And, and with Tom Brady's contract up in the air right now, it's it, it's so tough to project what they're going to be able to spend. You also have to take into account, right now, uh, Miguel uh, at, at Pat's Cap on Twitter, um, 
has them around 29 million in cap space. Uh, that's with Tom Brady not coming back. Um, if you factor in Tom Brady coming back, then you also have to take into account the fact that he can't have a low uh, year one cap hit. Uh, and that's going to be the same thing with Austin Hooper, too. You can't sign a free agent and have that low first-year cap hit. Uh, because of this this uh, CBA expiring, you can't have the year-two jump uh, in the contract. So it's it's going to create these – you're going to have to get Austin Hooper, and you're going to have to have him playing in 2020 on a higher cap hit than you normally would, uh, whereas Stephon Gilmore's first-year cap hit was, uh, was manageable because you could spread so much of that signing bonus out. So we'll go into more of the details – uh, with the cap stuff, especially when we talk about Brady down the road. But um, I just cannot see them coming around to giving that, you know, putting that many resources into uh, one pass catching tight end. Ryan, where is the down the middle view on the tight end position right now? Then? Where, where is that common ground? Okay, so let me make uh, one more case for Austin Hooper, and then I will get to that common ground. Um, so the last point that I want to make is going back to, uh, you know, the Revis and the Gilmore signings, uh, which is a little bit unfortunate because now it'd be easy road to go down is, oh, they they value cornerback like that because they're both cornerback positions. But I think in both cases, that was a significant position of need and a superior talent at that position. Both times it just happened to be a cornerback. I think this philosophy goes with any position they value and they clearly value tight end like that. Um, they, they, it was basically in uh, when they signed Stephon Gilmore. It was sign Stephon Gilmore or put that money into Malcolm Butler, and you don't really have an opportunity to get better otherwise. It was Stephon Gilmore or you're not really upgrading. It was Darrell Revis or you're not really upgrading. And they saw that if they were going to be a Super Bowl team and maintain that Super Bowl level, they were going to need an upgrade. Uh, and they, so they went and they spent that money. And this year's class, uh, there's no great, there's no like great tight end prospect this year. There's a couple who are like early day two, you know, round two, middle round two guys, but there's no elite tight end prospect at a position where rookie year tight ends historically don't perform at all anyway. Like right. a good rookie tight end year is like 500 yards and a touchdown or two. That is, that is like, you know, you are going to be pretty good as a rookie if you can clear that 500 yard benchmark receiving. Uh, so if, especially if Tom Brady is back, you aren't bringing in a rookie tight end, hoping to fix this offense from last year, because you're probably getting more of the same of that for a year. Now the down the middle argument would be then that if you don't go top money for Austin Hooper, you go for one of those second tier guys, like ideally the second, the clear second best option. if he hits the market is Hunter Henry. Uh, he is a player that is just about, if not as talented, if not better than Austin Hooper when fully healthy. The issue there is injuries. Are they going to want to go back down that injury rabbit hole that they've been in with Gronk? Hunter Henry's had a very similar career injury-wise. Um, I don't want to say similar because it's been more like freak-type knee stuff than like the back, recurring back issues that Gronk had. But think like Gronk's uh, arm injury that ended up, you know, he had to wear the monster arm for the rest of his career. That's the type of injuries that Hooper's or Henry's had, sorry. Um, other after that, you're looking at a pretty big drop off where you're looking at like someone like Eric Ebron, who doesn't solve the blocking issues that you're talking about, or uh, a Darren Fells, who is a limited receiver, um, Mercedes Lewis, who is who solves the blocking issues, doesn't solve the receiving issues, etc. So that down the middle would be one of those second tier tight ends. Uh, but I, I do think that that lowers the ceiling of the position. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I agree, I agree with you. Uh, the, the tight end class is a little thin. Um, 
obviously everybody's got their mind on Thaddeus Moss. Who doesn't? I would love him too. Yeah, he's gonna be the guy who he'll come in and like bruise for you. Um, he's got some he's got some development to to. I was gonna say I also don't think he's gonna be particularly good in the NFL, but I don't like right that. right at this point at this point he's got uh, he's got a lot of stuff to figure out. But right. we're, we're still there's a lot of fun in his Randy Moss. Stuff, right, so. <laughs> exactly. Um, we uh, so right now I think for me the down the middle would be the a Darren Fells type. Now you're still gonna be looking at you know. You're still going to be looking at a good chunk of change for a guy like Darren Fells, and so in my opinion, I think um, a good route would be. And, and again, this is not going to solve your blocking issues because the, these these tight ends don't. A good versatile tight end, these guys don't grow on trees. We know that it's why that it's why the tight end position is so thin in the NFL in general. Um, that even extends to like fantasy football. We see that in, even right. in fantasy football, it's just a, it's a thin position, and these guys are rare. It's a rare breed. Um, right. But I can see them going after a guy. Um, maybe offering a, uh, a, a a restricted free agent tender contract to a guy like Ricky Seals Jones, who can give them some downfield explosiveness. He's not going to provide much in in, in way of uh, of blocking. Um, but you're right. The, the the bruisers and the and the blockers are there on the market. But you know, you you got you got to find an upgrade over what Matt Lacoste did last year. And if Matt Lacoste is your tight end too, uh, again going into uh, going into 2020, it's not the end of the world. But um, you cannot you cannot be rolling him out as your tight end one and expect uh, and expect any improvement at the position even if you have a rookie behind him with depth. Um, so yeah, down the road argument, gonna have to sign a middle 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 of the road free agent uh, if you really want to address this position without having to uh, break the bank. Um, Ryan, going into uh, the final segment here, where each week we got we each wrap for two minutes apiece on a either a special uh, a free agent target or a draft prospect or an acquisition we're looking for. Who is your guy this week? Yeah, so I'm going to go rapid fire a little bit because I pushed us a little bit long on that Hooper segment, so I'll clear some of my time for you here. I'm just going to straight up read off my bullet points. So my guy is Carl Joseph, uh, safety for the Raiders. Uh, he's an upcoming free agent, former first-round pick, took a while to really get going, and kind of became a solid player last year, probably not in the Raiders' future plans. Uh, but he's only 26. Uh, the safety position needs a bunch of uh, an infusion of youth. He is he can play that hybrid role that they like for their secondary safeties, like like Devin McCourty's the deep safety, but outside of that, they like guys who can drop into coverage or come up to the line. He's someone that can do that. Um, if you want to move on from Patrick Chung, he can fill into that role, or if Devin McCourty leaves, you want to slide Deron Harmon into that Devin McCourty role, he can take over the Deron Harmon role. He just gives you options because of that versatility. Uh, you hope that you can coach him up a little bit and you can make him a serviceable player. Like Ryan Anderson, who we talked about last week, he's not going to change your defense, but he's that nice middle depth that the Patriots are so good at finding that keeps them good year over year. And he should be cheap enough, again, like Ryan Anderson, that if he doesn't work out, uh, you can move on from him after a year. Okay. Um Guys, this week I am going to go with – oh, excuse me. Hold on. just wanted to get myself a little Maya Stinger there. There we go. What's up, Maya? Um, so last year we all knew wide receiver was a huge, huge need. Uh, the Patriots obviously agreed. They went and killed Harry the first round. Um, there are going to be possibly somewhere between eight and ten wide receivers taken in the first two rounds of this draft. That's how deep this wide receiver class is. And with all of the Patriots' needs at uh, on the offensive side of the football, uh, wide receiver is still one of them. Um, with Philip Dorsett uh, going to be going to be leaving, obviously we, we know all about the uh, the, the woes of uh, of Mohamed Sanu adjusting to the offense. Um, but 
this this offense needs speed and it's something that we've just been grinding you know and talking about to death all year long and uh and it could have been it could have been solved last year in the draft with uh with the selection of a guy uh like Nicole Hardman um that we were that we were big on over over at Pat's pulpit specifically myself um and we saw we're gonna see him uh, on Sunday with the Kansas City Chiefs um I think that version that guy uh, obviously is Henry Ruggs in this draft uh the Patriots I do not think will be drafting high enough to have an opportunity for Henry Ruggs nor do I think they would go another year of taking a, a wide receiver in the first round but uh, they need to find a way, if they can find a way to get their hands on K.J. Hamler from Penn State, uh, I think that is the kind of guy uh, that can provide that spark that these offenses in the NFL are all looking for now. We've seen it with this this horizontal fly-sweep motion pre-snap stuff. Uh, you want a speedster that can put stress on the defenses horizontally as well as vertically. And the Patriots simply do not have that guy right now. We know that. Again, we've talked about it to death. Um, they've tried to use James White in that role with laser motion out of the backfield, orbit motion, um, some of the jet sweep stuff, uh, a ton of end around jet sweep stuff, uh, you know, with, with, with Nikhil Harry this year and, and, uh, Julian Edelman. Um, but if you want a guy that can house one, uh, you draft KJ Hamler. The guy is an absolute bullet. Um, he's a little guy. He's little, he's five, eight, five, nine, probably not even pushing a buck 80. Uh, but he's gonna four. He's gonna he's gonna rip off an easy four three. Uh, he's a slot guy. You get him a two way go out of the slot, um, and just let him work. Uh, he is going to be spectacular. Um, and it's it's this new breed of player in the NFL. Find a way to get this guy the football out of the slot and let him do his thing. He's tough and uh, and he, he he's he's not he's obviously not gonna have a huge catch radius or anything like that. But he if you can find a way to get the football in his hands. Um, I think it's going to be uh, – he, he's going to help some offense take a huge step forward in 2020, and if the Patriots get him, I think they can find a way to make uh, make his skills work for them. So, guys, um, that is going to do it for this week. Again, we ran a little long, but, hey, we're still getting the hang of this thing. Uh, we appreciate you guys uh, tuning in. Ryan, anything uh, to leave the people with? No, let's get out of here. Have a good <laughs> night, you guys. You got it, guys. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Follow Ryan on Twitter at – ryan underscore kieran uh you can follow me on there as well at b phillips underscore sb make sure to go to patspulpit.com throughout the entire offseason guys the coverage is going to be there breaking down all the patriots news and if unfortunately you're going to have to go there and read some dante scarnecchia rip articles uh you know we, we, we miss you already dante um uh, but guys seriously thank you so much for tuning in uh to deep down the middle we will catch you next wednesday <laughs>